We are really, really, really glad that you're here today. Super, super. All right, so if you're not in high school yet, maybe you haven't had high school chemistry. If you're not in college yet, maybe you've not had college chemistry. But a lot of us are older than that, so maybe we didn't like high school chemistry. How many didn't really like high school chemistry? Okay. How many didn't really like college chemistry or understand it? Okay. But everybody in the room loves chemistry. Everybody does. Whether you live across the world, I met somebody from Wales, just came here last night a few minutes ago, I met somebody from, all the way from South Africa. Uh, all, all, all of us who live next door to us, wherever we live next door, we, we all love chemistry. Chemistry is what makes the world go around. We all like chemistry. We like people. We understand chemistry. In fact, you're friends. You have chemistry with your friends, right? Because if you didn't have chemistry with them, you wouldn't be friends with them, right? Work. When it comes to work, Dean and Jonathan and I, when we hire people, we do the three C's. One is character. One is definitely competency. But the third one is chemistry. Every church staff has to have chemistry. You think about championship teams. Why do we have a new football coach? We got old Lovey Smith this year. Why? Because there wasn't the right chemistry. And maybe he'll add some love to that staff. I don't know. But anyway, Lovey's there. The Rays right now. Look out, Yankees. Look out, Yankees. Here we come. The Rays have incredible chemistry. We are the hottest team. The last 30 days, we are the hottest team in baseball right now. But we're, we're here to talk about Jesus. But anyway... Um, it's amazing what chemistry does for you. You have a date, you have two or three dates, and you finally work up the courage to kiss her, and you say, how was it? And you go, well, it's like kissing my sister. There was just no chemistry there. So that, that's over, right? That, that's not going to happen any longer. So we all understand chemistry, and we all like chemistry. People write books about this stuff. People have movies about this stuff. People write songs about it. Speaking of a song, I, I want to start today with a country music song. I don't listen to all country music, but occasionally. In fact, whenever you're a preacher, this is just a good little footnote, you're a preacher and you need an illustration on like how not to live your life, you just turn on country music and they just... They just they just pop out. You have multiple illustrations of what not to do with your life. So I, I, I want to I talk about a country song, and then I'm going to talk about a box office smash hit of, of a year ago. So just hang on with me for just a second. So I don't know how long ago it was, maybe a month ago. I, I was listening to a little bit of country music. I don't listen to a lot, but I listen to a little bit. All of a sudden, I, I hear this song by Jake Owens. And you're my summer jam. And I'm listening. Okay, how many of you know what that song is? Okay, Brent, don't be shy. You've sinned too. You've listened to country music. Raise your hands high. You know what? You know what? The, okay, you know what summer jam is. And so Jake Owens sings this song about you're my summer jam. Now here's verse two. You're the sun on my face, the cold beer in my case. You're the little tan legs swinging off of my gate. You're the moon in my shine. You're the ray in my rhyme. Not very deep, is it? <laughs> you ain't a seven, eight, or nine. Nah, girl, you're a dime. Here's the chorus. Turn it up, girl. You're turning me on. I, I want to spin you like a record. You know I'm digging what you're doing, grooving what you're grooving, because I don't need a guitar or a band, because, baby, you're my, you're my summer jam. So basically what this means is 
We got a short time to be together. It's, it's not going to happen in the fall. We got 70. We got 80 days. You're my summer jam. And when the summer's over, baby, I'm on to my fall fling. Okay? So about um, two or three weeks ago, Danita doesn't listen to any country music. I said, Danita, you're my summer jam. And she said, what? I said, never mind. Just we'll, we'll just let that one go, honey. And so summer jam is basically we're going to be together as long as it's good in the summer. We got 70 to 90 days. And after the 70 to 90 days, baby, we are, well, we're over because you're my summer jam. Now, contrast that to a movie that was written from a true story in 2012. And the movie was called The Vow. And how many of you in the room have seen The Vow? It's an incredible movie called The Vow. Raise your hand. This isn't sin. This is a good, you're not sin if you raise your hand now. First time you were sinning, but this time you're, you're okay. Um, so The Vow is a, based on a true story of a, of a baseball coach named Kim Carpenter and his wife, Cricket. So Kim Carpenter, he is a baseball coach in um, New Mexico, and he's ordering sports jackets. He's ordering jackets from a sports company, and on the phone is this woman named Cricket. And so, there, I mean, there's chemistry over the phone lines, and within one year, Kim and Cricket Carpenter, they are married. Ten weeks after their wedding, they are in a horrible car accident. And Kim Cricket wakes up from her coma, and they ask her, what's the name of your husband? And she said, I'm not married. And the trauma to her brain had erased previous 18 months. She has no memory of ever dating the man, ever meeting the man, ever talking to the man, ever marrying the man. And 18 months of her memory is completely gone. This is, this is not going to be summer jam. This is called the vow. And Kim Cricket, the, the baseball coach, Kim then does everything he can to help her remember their marriage, their courtship, their restaurants, their dates, their, their little, you know, language, what kind of food she likes. She can't remember any of this. And he becomes obsessed. He puts pictures all over the house. He takes her home. He takes care of her. It's three years of literal hell inside their house. She said, get away from me. I don't like you. I don't want to be with you. I don't remember you. I don't, have, I don't want to have anything to do with you. This was in 1993. And so look at this clip that they made a movie out of in 2012. Real life story behind The Vow, this weekend's number one movie at the box office. It's based on the lives of Kim and Cricket Carpenter, who were newlyweds when a car accident left Cricket without her short-term memory. We're going to talk to them in just a moment. But first, here's their story from NBC's Kristen Dahlgren. I promise to provide for and protect you through times of challenge and need. Vows meant to last a lifetime for Kim and Cricket Carpenter pushed to the limit. Just two months after their wedding, while driving to see Cricket's parents for Thanksgiving, a gruesome accident changed everything. I heard watch out and the most blood-curdling scream. I heard Cricket just gasp. I thought it was the last breath of air she could get. And the doctors told me that she was way beyond medical help. Cricket survived but had a serious brain injury. And they asked her who her husband was, and she said, I'm not married. 
she had no recollection of even meeting Kim. I wanted my memories. wife back. I became obsessed with putting pictures of us before we were married or our, our engagement picture uh, up anywhere because she couldn't even sit down in the bathroom without seeing a picture. Nothing worked, but then a therapist suggested they fall in love again. And talked to the couple back in 1997. You dated? Yeah. Talking movies? Go to the show, go eat pizza. Flowers? Yep. Lots of she flowers. gave you flowers? <laughs> she fell in love with me not once, but twice. <laughs> Kim and Cricket remarried. I need you, Kim, mm -hmm. and I love you. All right. Two kids, four dogs, and 18 years have now passed since Cricket's injury. She still hasn't regained her memory, but that doesn't seem to matter. As excited as the Carpenters are about the movie, they say they're more excited about what got them there. That's what we want to be known for, is, is doing what we said we were going to do. Do you love her more today? I do, more than ever. You know, because it's, uh, we have really, um, we, we've won the battle. See, everybody's going to live somewhere between summer jam and between the vow. Now, here's the principle for this morning. Isn't that a cool little clip? That's awesome. That's awesome. Re read the book. They have a whole book on it. They're committed Christian people. I've not read the book. I've read excerpts about the book. But anyway, I think it's a great story. But here's the principle for this morning. You make a promise, and the promise is going to make you. All of us do this in life. You make a promise, but really, all those promises, they begin to make you. you. You already know that. Every time in your life where you've kept a promise, you've gotten stronger. Every time in your life when you've not kept a promise, you've gotten weaker. Every time in your life when you've kept a promise, it's made you more secure. Every time in your life when you haven't kept a promise, it's made you more anxious. We, we know this. You make a promise, and then the promise begins to make you. You begin to pray, and then prayer becomes who you are. You begin to read the scriptures, and then the scriptures become who you are. You begin to give, and then giving kind of becomes who you are. You begin to serve and love, and all this becomes who you are. This is our principle for this morning. So if you're single you're single, the best advice I can give to single, this is an advice that I think all of us should be given to single people. The best advice, if you're looking for a date, you're looking to get married, you're looking for a spouse, you find someone who keeps their promises. Because you make a promise, and that promise then, it will make you. I think that's good advice to singles. If you're single this morning, that's the best advice I can give you. Look for someone who's a promise maker and a promise keeper. Because those are the kind of people you're going to want to do life with for a long, long time. Now let's contrast that to this. We've all heard this. The couple's been dating for a long time. Maybe they're living together. And someone, one of the couple's, uh, people in the, in the relationship say, you know what? I, I don't need a piece of paper. I, I don't need a piece of paper to prove my love for you. I love you now. I love you here. I, a piece getting married is not going to make me love you any, any grander. 
And, and, and that would be true if love is defined and described as, as a feeling. And so in our culture today, we're going to struggle between consumer love and between covenant love. Really, it's really summer jam and, and the vow. And every one of us in this room has to make a decision as to which one of those two chemistry loves we're going to choose. And so consumer love, that, that would be right. The piece of paper doesn't make you love the person anymore because it's, it's a feeling. And consumer love is kind of like, well, I, I love you, and, and right now we got the summer jam thing going on. This is cool, but I'm, I don't love you enough to close out all the other options. I, I don't love you enough to say that I, I'm, I'm going to forsake every. Because if somebody else kind of comes along, it's kind of like in business, like with a vendor. I'm like, if there's a better vendor, like a cheaper vendor, or like a better, better then I'm not obligated to stay in this. That's, that's consumerism, and that would be called summer love, summer jam. But conversely, a covenant is different. A covenant says, I'm going to provide an environment where there's this safety net. I'm going to create like there's space. And so there's space where two people then have said, we're together. We're together for life, not the death of the marriage, but the death of one of us. And we're together for a long, long time. And now we can kind of work on this stuff together. Like, like together we can experience life, and together we can make progress, and together we can two steps forward and maybe one. It, 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 it's a safety net. And so everybody in the room has to make the choice of where you're going to do because you make a promise, and your promises, they will, not maybe, they will make you. And so is it going to be for you? summer jam, or is it going to be for you like the covenant? So let me, let me give a little lighter illustration first, because this is how you make a promise, and this is how your promises make you. So this is, this is light, and then we'll, we'll dig a little bit deeper. I told you, um, those of you that were here, last October, uh, Emily was 17, she's 18 now, but, but our youngest was 17, and she came to me and she said, Dad, uh, in January of 2014, she said, I'd really like for you to run a uh, 13.1 half marathon with me. And I said, Emily, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. But it ain't going to happen. Um, you know, I haven't run that far in over 20, 25 years. And I, I, honey, I love you, but thank you. No. And, and so you know how, you know, we, we men, you know, like we wear the pants and, you know, we make these decisions. Well, Danita says, you know, let's go back to the back bedroom and talk about this. So every guy in the room knows what's coming, right? And so we go back in the back bedroom, and she's so kind and so polite. And she said, now, when's the last time your 17-year-old has asked you to do something with her? I said, well, I can't really think of a good time, but this isn't going to happen. She said, I think it should happen. And I said, it's not going to happen. And she said it should happen. And, and, and I said, it ain't happening. And it, it, it happened, actually. It, it, it really did happen. And so, see, I made a promise then, so I go out of the bedroom, Emily, it's a great idea, I, I am stoked about this. So I, I made a promise to her, I made a promise to her that I would run the 13.1, and you know what, that promise then made me, because then the next week, 
I bought some new tennis shoes, some good shoes. I find a golf course that I could run at early in the morning with the deer and all the turkeys out there. And, and see, I made a promise, but all of a sudden, that promise made me. Now I'm running again. I'm running distances again. And I went to John Chestnut Park about every other Saturday, and I did speed work. Why would a 52-year-old man do speed work? There's only one reason. He's running from the police. And so far, that's not been a part of my life. So, so I, I'm doing speed work, and then, you know, we have this incredible race she and I do together. It was so much fun. We had a great race in, in January. But, but you make a promise. And see, that promise then, it, it makes you. It's the same thing in school. It's the same thing in coaching. It's the same thing in teaching. It's the same thing in work. It's the same thing in marriage. It's everything about you. You make these promises. So in 1979 then, uh, I'm going to Purdue University. I'm going to announce football games and basketball games. and I, I can't wait to be a sports announcer. I, I'm all signed up for Purdue. Signed, sealed, delivered, communications. It's all going to be great. And it was a Sunday night church service, and it was like, God, I knew God, my Heavenly Father was asking me to preach the gospel. I knew it. I knew it in my heart. And so I go 400 miles away to this college in Knoxville, Tennessee. I don't even know where Knoxville from Indianapolis. I don't even know where Knoxville is on the map. And my parents drop me off, and I know nobody. And so I can remember those first couple of days there before classes actually started. I'm going, oh, God, you've got to help me. I don't know the Bible. I've been a believer for four years. I wasn't raised in Sunday school. I don't know church world. And there's another third problem that's a big one. I can't preach. I am begging you. And the Heavenly Father just said, Ah, if you'll just lean into me, I will do incredible things. In 1984, I'm 23 and Denita's 20. And we stand in front of this church and all these people, and I said I would do what? And she said she would do what? Are, are, are you kidding? And there we are as kids making these incredible vows to each other. And I'm going to explain that in just a minute. And normally, I have about 20, if you're new today, normally I have about 20 or 25 to 30 verses on the screen because I like to teach a lot of the Bible. I'm not going to do that today. Today, I'm going to do something a little bit different for just a minute. I want to teach about some people in the Bible who fulfilled and who did not fulfill this. So just listen. We could talk about this for a whole year, about all the different people in the Bible who made promises and did not fulfill them. They have these incredible promises, but you look at David. David had such a cool life, and then David blew it with Bathsheba, and he killed Uriah. So right off the bat, David commits adultery, and David commits murder, probably coveted after you know, his neighbor's wife. And so you just see David's life, and the rest of David's life was a mess. And his family was an absolute mess. And so I'm just here to tell you, you, you can take your vows lightly, and you can pretend that nobody's going to suffer. And you can talk about how the kids are resilient. But I'm telling you, it is a train wreck. Now, you can't unscramble eggs. And all you can do is go forward. But I want us to leave this room today with understanding that you make a promise. But by golly, that promise, it makes you and you will be stronger or you will be weaker. You will be secure or you will be filled with anxiety. It, it, it's, it's your future. 
Saul was the same way. Saul was told to kill all the Amalekites and to kill King Agag. And instead of that, he takes all the sheep and takes all the cattle and says, hey, I'm going to sacrifice these to God. And Samuel shows up and he says, what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? And Saul tries to make an excuse, you know, I wasn't going to be faithful. I wasn't going to be loyal. I wasn't going to do what God really told me to do because we're going to, we're going to offer all these animals as a, as a sacrifice. And Samuel goes, time out. It's better to obey than it is to sacrifice. So we could talk about this for two years, all the people who just flat blew it. But when you look in the Bible at the people who got it right, and you see their lives, how did Job do it? How did he do it? Even Job's own wife said, Job, for goodness sakes, God's taking this, he's taking this, he's taking this. And his own wife said, Job, curse God and die. Just die. Job said, there's no way, I'm not about to do that. And Hannah, she fulfilled her promises. She couldn't get pregnant the days before in vitro and all that stuff. She could not get pregnant. And she's begging God for a son. And if you give me a son, he'll be a Nazarite, no strong drink, no razor will ever touch his head. And so God blessed her. And at three and a half years of age, she gives her boy to Eli, the priest, in the temple. She leaves him in the temple. She, she made a promise, and she fulfilled her promise. And what's really cool about that story then is she kind of became like fertile myrtle. She's popping babies out left and right after that whole story. It's a great story. It's a cool story. Every time Joseph was faithful, it got him in trouble. Every time he was obedient, it got him sold, it got him in a well, it got him in prison. Just sleep with Potiphar's wife for heaven's sakes, and let's not make a big deal about this. And Joseph says, no, with, my master in char- with me in charge, my master doesn't worry about anything in the house. You, you see these people, and these people who made promises. Those promises made them. Daniel would not ever be unloyal in a pagan polyistic, polytheistic culture. He was loyal and faithful tr- through and through. And so when you see the wedding ceremony, you kind of have to back up and go, it, it isn't summer jam. It isn't, it isn't the ten legs swinging off the tailgate. It isn't that seven, eight, nine stuff. You're a dime, baby. It isn't that. It, it's over here. And that covenant is so deep and so The first part of a marriage ceremony is where this couple is making this vertical promise to their heavenly father. It is even horizontal. The couple's not even facing each other. They're talking to the the priest or they're talking to the pastor. And the pastor says, all right, sweetheart, do you you take this dude whose hand you now hold? And do you promise to be, you know, do you promise? There's a word. Do you promise to be faithful? Do you promise before God and all these witnesses? I mean, the first part of the ceremony is purely vertical. It's vertical. It's in front of your heavenly father. It's to the minister, to the priest. It's to God. Do you promise to take him, forsaking all others, and live with him and him only, so long as you both shall live? I do. I do. And I always have the couple say it really loud. When a couple, you know, somebody says, I do. So no, we can't hear that, sweetheart. Choke it up, baby. Choke it up. <laughs> Don't, I do that. I do. I make everybody. Okay, everybody heard them. She said, I do. He said, I do. So don't tell me you didn't. <laughs> and, and then the next part of the ceremony. The next part of the ceremony then is horizontal. And they begin to make 
vows to each other. I'm 23? She's 20? And I, and I said, I take you, and she takes me, for better or for worse? You see, it's about the future. It, it isn't 70, 80, 90 days. Summer. It's about the future, and nobody knows what the future holds. Nobody does. Now, everybody wants a great future, but nobody does at that point. And so um, a week from Monday, tomorrow, uh, it will be actually our 30th wedding anniversary. And so you take those 30 days. Now, you should clap for Danita. That's true. Absolutely. Danita is the hero, her- heroine in this whole story. But, but you take those 30 years, and, and, and if you cumulatively put all those hours together, how many of those hours have been for better? Maybe 25 years? Maybe 26 years? How many of those years take all those hours? How many of those have been for worse? Five, six years? Not everything's for better. And for anybody to stand up here and tell you that, that everything is for better, that person is full of Huey. They're not telling the truth. Or they're not really married. Or, 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 it's, or it's fantasy land. But you're making, a, you're making a vow to each other for better or for worse. You can't see 25 years. You ask the couples who have been married for 50 years, how many of those years have been for better? And what were some of the pitfalls and the, the, the hurdles and the, the dead ends? For richer, for poorer? Oh my goodness, when we were first married, the church mice ate better than we did. I'm not kidding you. We were, I had three part-time jobs. I'm in graduate school. She is a, um, have a, a dyslexic students, and she's teaching dyslexic students full-time in, in a school in, in Louisville, Kentucky. I, sickness and in health, that hasn't been part of our story so far, but it will be. One of us is going to pass away before the other one does. It, it, you, live a long, you live enough time. But some of you understand the insickness. You got married, and all of a sudden there's breast cancer. Where did that come from? There's prostate cancer. Where did, where did the car accident come from? Where did the disease? And, and all of a sudden, you see, summer jam is here and now, but a covenant. A covenant is, a, is an environment where we're safe to love and live and do exactly what God has called us to do. I have a friend of mine in this church that I just, I so respect and I so love this man. He was married for 61 years. And about four and a half years ago, his wife got very, very ill with emphysema and lung cancer. And he stayed home for the next three and a half years and just took care of her every single day. He's at home with her, feeding her. I mean, you just fill in the blanks. Folks, that's love. That's covenant love. That's not summer jam, baby. That's the real deal. And I so respect this man and how he loved and honored and was faithful. Now, he couldn't see this. He was 18 and she was 17. He couldn't foresee that back in the 1950s. In the 1950s, he had no clue what the next 61 years would look. And neither do you. And that's the whole point. You see, that's the whole point. And so God wants this thing called marriage to be sacred. 
And God puts this thing called marriage within the context of the infrastructure and the framework and the warp and the woof of the fabric of, of our communities. And this is how God designed this to be, for there to be family, for there to be faithfulness, for there to be love, sacrifice, commitment. And that's how God wired you and me. And just remember, you make a promise, but those promises, I promise you, they make you. But that's God. That's exactly who God is. God is a promise maker. He promises to give strength to the weary. He promises to lift us up. He promises to heal our broken hearts. He promises that no matter what train wreck of a life we've made, he promises to redeem and restore. Jesus said, it's for your good that I go away, because if I go away, I will send you the counsel, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And I'm so stoked about the next six weeks, because we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit for the next six weeks, and how the Holy Spirit works in your life. Jesus is, I'll give you a crown of life. I'll give you victory over death. I'll give you peace. I'll give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I, I, will just, I will just pour out the blessings on you. And so why should you lean in to God? Why should you lean in to all this stuff that we always talk about? Because it will just flat change your life forever and forever and forever, and you will never be the same. So I, I'm encouraging you, if you're single, to look for people who keep their promises. I'm encouraging you, ladies, if you're dating and he pulls out the summer jam song, just turn the radio off and go back in the house. It ain't happening. You look for a guy who can keep his promise. Guys, you look for a lady who can keep their promises. You look for somebody who's loyal and faithful and true. And all of us, let's give that same advice. If you don't know what to say to your niece, you don't say to your nephew, that, that's, that, that, that'll preach. That'll preach. So God wants to do all this with you. He doesn't want you to do this the hard way. He doesn't want you to kind of grin and bear your vows and your commitment to it just the hard way. He says, let me in. Come to me. Let me in. I stand at the door and I knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Let me in. And so every Lord's Day we talk about this. If you're not a Christian, we, we invite you today to become a Christian. It's not our invitation. It's His. It's His, his invitation. August the 17th, we're going we're gonna to have beach baptisms again. I, I highly encourage you, if you've never been baptized by immersion, it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ for you to be baptized into Christ. Lean in. Lean in on Him. Man, He'll just, he'll just lean all over you. Let's stand. I have our prayer partners come down front. If you've never given your life to Jesus, come down front. If you want special prayer for your marriage or for somebody else's marriage, you come down front. Anybody who's hurting this morning, you come down front. We'll pray for you. We'll pray over you. I, I want you to remember, yeah, it's consumer or yeah, it's a covenant, but I think you're probably going to remember summer jam and the vow.
You made an incredible promise to us, Lord Jesus. And you fulfilled every one of them, and you're coming back again, and we're stoked about that. We want to honor you. We want to love you. We want to serve you. Oh, please help us to keep our vows and our promises. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.